The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Eco Right Speaks, a podcast produced by RepublicEN.org. I'm Chelsea Henderson, Director of Editorial Content at Republic EN, and I'm so happy to be joined today by two special guests, Lance Lawson and his father, Brian Anderson. But before I get to them, I wanted to take a minute to introduce our listeners to a vital member of the Republic EN team, the consummate behind-the-scenes guy whom you've never gotten an email from but whose daily contributions keep the wheels moving. I'd like to present Kevin Crosswhite. Kevin, welcome, and thanks for taking a few minutes to chat. Hi, thank you for having me. So I mentioned in our last episode, which was our first episode, that we are a very decentralized team. So for example, even before COVID-19 made working from home a thing, Kevin and I weren't exactly hanging around the water cooler to chat. I'm in the DC metro area, but he's in Wisconsin. So I'm sort of wondering, how's the weather there today, Kev? Not too bad. Uh, I think we're in the 70s today. Whenever we, we break past the 40s or 50s, we're always excited. So we're, we're pretty happy with it right now. So you're getting some summer. That's good. Yeah, we'll see how long it lasts, but for sure. So I thought you could share with our listeners how it was that you found Bob Inglis and Bo- Alex Bosmoski, who's another Wisconsinite. Is that what you guys call yourselves or are you Wisconsiners? Wisconsinites, I think. You know, I should probably know, um, but I think it's Wisconsinites. <laughs> well, I'm from Maine, and some people say Mainers, and some people say Maniacs, but um, oh. anyway, I think you met Alex first, right? Another Wisconsinite, Wisconsiner. Correct, yeah. Um, I had, in up until 2012, I had been working on political campaigns, and then um, in early 2013, I was at an event, and Alex uh, was speaking about the uh, virtues of conservative leadership on climate change and got into some of the policy details and I was sold hook, line and sinker. And I immediately told them, whatever you're doing, sign me up. I want to help, um, you know, in any way I can. So I volunteered and helped for a little while and met Bob and eventually wanted to get more and more involved and um, started working with the organization. And uh, now it's 2020 and it's been a few years. How is it already 2020? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know, man. You tell me. Well, I think we probably both came on in a more post part time, more than part time, a little less than full time capacity around the same time. Was it about 2014, 2015 for you? Yeah, I think it was the beginning of 2014. Um, I had been, you know, in Wisconsin volunteering, working with some of the local uh, leaders here and working in our community to kind of Uh, get involved and um, started doing that full time in 2014 um, and did that for a few years and then started taking on more of the digital role of things at that point. So what has it been like then to see this organization and the EcoRight really expand the way it has in the last six years? It's exciting. You know, we have, there's such a, a felt need for um, policy and leadership in this area amongst conservatives, um, clearly conservatives care about this issue. We see that time and time again in polling, um, but it's not really talked about. And um, people are excited to hear that there are solutions that fit with our values. And it's exciting to kind of see people realize that and learn that and be able to 
um, express how they feel on, on an issue um, that fits within their, their worldview and values. It is really great, this thing that Bob and Alex and, and really all of us have helped to create to give a space and a community for people in the eco-right who might not even know they're eco-right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Absolutely. So listeners, Kevin, I'm both happy and sad to say is leaving us soon. Sad because he's my G-chat buddy. We don't have the water cooler or a coffee room, but we have G-chat and he is going on to bigger and better things in the finance world. So I'm just wondering, Kevin, what will you miss most about our team calls? Uh, you know, I, I think it's the informal kind of G-chats that we get going on during them. They're always a, a fun commentary that we kind of get um, throughout the calls. Um, we have, we're kind of professionally remote workers at this point. Everyone um, through the pandemic has, you know, obviously have transitioned more into that. And uh, we've been doing this for a long time. Well, I will let our listeners in on a little secret, which is that when Lee started a Google Sheet of Bob-isms, because he has some great stories and some great expressions that maybe are a little more Southern, and so they're new to most of us. And we have Alex-isms, too, I believe. She probably has Kevin-isms and Chelsea-isms, and we just haven't been clued in yet. <laughs> Yeah, I'll have to um, have you guys email me randomly some of those from time to time to bring a smile to my face. We won't take you off the Google permissions. Maybe that's the, the prize <laughs> you get. <laughs> there we go. So I have one more fun question, and then I'll let you get back on your day. And this is really personal because last night I was alone with my younger teen son, and I sort of screwed up the dinner plan. And so I said, all right, let's order pizza and then we had a long debate about what pizza to order. What is your favorite kind of pizza? Oh, man. See, that is, that is a great question. Um, you know, I'm in Wisconsin, but my family originates from the Chicago area. So obviously I have a, a lot of um, pride and deep love for Chicago deep dish. But to be honest, I, I'm not a purist. I love all of it. Um, Detroit style I've lately been getting into. The kind of super thin crust you get in New York I love as well. Um, anything, as long as it doesn't have pineapple on it, I'm, I'm for it. Yes, you just said the magic words. So my son wanted a Hawaiian pizza. And I was like, what? No, fruit does not belong on pizza. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Well, I have been wanting to try my hand at making a Chicago deep dish pizza, but I'm sort of scared that it won't live up to my expectations. So now I have to wait for the weather to cool down because nobody wants to turn their oven on to 450 degrees in a DC summer. <laughs> so <laughs> definitely. Well, well, thank you, Kevin, so much for taking a few minutes out of your day to talk to us. Coming up next, my conversation with Lance Lawson, who was a high school student when he convinced his dad, Brian Anderson, that climate change is real. They both join me to recount this process and share how their conservative values play into their support for climate change action. But first, we are new to the podcasting world and we need your help. So please, please, pretty please subscribe to the EcoRight Speaks on your favorite podcast app. Whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, your subscription means our latest episode will appear on your device every Tuesday, but it also means others can find us more easily. And while you're on Apple Podcasts, rate us. Five stars would be amazing. Of course, Kevin, I hope you already subscribed and rated us. <laughs> of course. RepublicEN.org is the leading voice for climate action, and we want to hear from you. Now, let's continue with this week's episode. 
And now back to the show and my discussion with Lance Lawson and Brian Anderson. Welcome to Eco Right Speaks. I'm so happy today to introduce our listeners to a father-son team who we have come to know and really admire over the last couple of months. Lance Lawson is graduating from, graduated, I'm going to start that over. Lance Lawson graduated from Bayshore Christian High School in Tampa, Florida recently. He has been an active member of our inaugural season of our county youth chair program, which is something that we created at republicen.org as a way for some of our younger volunteers, it's targeted at seniors in high school, to really become part of the eco-right community and find ways to engage with other young conservatives who want to see climate action happen. So this was our first year offering this program, and we had a huge pool of applicants. And Lance, you really distinguished yourself in the beginning with the story you told about how you changed your dad's mind on climate change. So we are here today with Lance, with his father, Brian Anderson, to talk about what this process, what this journey was like for you. So if I understand correctly, you had a habit in the past of talking about politics and issues that were important to you. This is part of what you guys do together, correct? Yes, it's a tried and true family tradition. Same. Um, my son also is a senior in high school, and we have a lot of dinner time conversations that his younger brother wasn't as interested in until this year taking AP Gov. Now it is definitely more of a family family combination. So walk me through your process. In the beginning, again, if I'm understanding correctly, Lance, you started off also sharing the same view as your dad that climate change, um, whether it's not real, was how you felt or that it wasn't a high priority. I'll let you describe kind of where you were at that point. Well, at the time, and this is about a few years ago, I uh, I didn't believe in the seemingly massive nature of climate change and just I, I, I saw some of the prediction models I saw some of the articles many of which were sensationalized and I was suspicious of that truth uh, and as such I didn't think it was either real in its entirety or if it was real it was being highly exaggerated uh, now that, that was where I stood uh, and I do think that there are definitely lots of people out there who do make a bad name for the case for climate change by exaggerating, by sensationalizing, by editorializing, all in the name of money. Most, most of the time it comes down to money uh, because journalists do want those clicks. Politicians do want those votes. And, you know, you never want to let a good crisis go to waste. And I think that that type of irresponsible behavior is causing a lot of otherwise very smart, very intelligent, very well-rounded people to stray away from what is scientific truth. So I think that although the truth is there, it's definitely being misconstrued in many ways. And I was a victim of that. And so Brian explained to me, I think you were maybe coming at the issue from more of a business perspective. Is that right? Yeah, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, and, and Lance, um, Lance and I, I drove Lance back and forth. He, he had gone to a school uh, that was kind of far away. So we had a lot of windshield time together. So, which meant that, um, you know, mornings or afternoons, we'd in, end up invariably engaging in some sort of conversation on politics or the environment or whatever. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think you said it really well about the sensationalization and the suspicion. Um, 
And I've seen lots of articles on both sides. Um, and, you know, kind of where I was going back several years was when you think about, you know, business and is this something that we see uh, as a, a crucial need right now? And there was a lot of compelling arguments on both sides. Um, and I think for most of us, we're sort of muddling through trying to figure out what really is the truth, because you see people that uh, you relate to saying, hey, this is just not that big a deal. They're just blowing out of proportion. Things are fine. It's, if you're kind of conservative leaning, as I am, uh, you, you look at somebody like Al Gore standing up there and that looks starts becoming a caricature. Right. Um, and so I think from my background as a business person, as an investor, uh, you get really skeptical. So in any event, that's kind of lays the land of where we were in our conversations. And perhaps I, you know, threw a bunch of influencers Lance's way until he started uh, turning it around back on me. Let me ask you a, just a sidebar before we get into kind of your evolution. You live in Florida, which I think of as being on the front lines of seeing real um, impacts of climate change. And not that, you know, we're always very hesitant to say this hurricane is caused by climate change, but we know that the patterns are bigger storms, more intense storms, more frequently because of the way that the trends are moving on climate change. So how much would you say the experiences that you have that you see in your state have um, were kind of playing in at that time to what you were thinking? Were you just kind of looking at them separately? It was red tides, hurricanes over here and climate change over here, or did they start to intersect at some point? Well, I'm more of a data-driven guy. I don't like living by anecdotes or experience. I'm much more responsive to a graph than I am at an example even. Uh, I am really considered climate change to be more or less true, more or less significant based on where I am. If I was in Wyoming, I probably would have <laughs> reached the same conclusion. Uh, I've never been like many others who witnessed uh, some of the effects and took it very personally. Like This is an attack on my state. This is an attack on myself and feel threatened and endangered. I've always remained a sense of calm, and I've never used one of those anecdotal experiences, be it with red tide, be it with storms. I've always been more of a data-driven guy, so I generally try to use statistics where I can and avoid using examples. Now that you mention it, though, you're right. You know, Florida is going to be on the front line of that. We're going to be suffering the brunt, uh, our highest elevate. I don't think we have a single mountain here, so that's going to be hard. It's going to be very expensive real estate if there was. Uh, and yeah. I think it's very important that people who do live in Florida, people who live on the coast, recognize. And, and by the way, I think like 80% of the United States population lives on the coastline. So that's going to be something that's going to concern a lot of people. And I think the more we get out there and the more we say, hey, this impacts you directly, the more people are going to be much more receptive to this message. Yeah, I like to joke that we should buy oceanfront property in Nebraska. <laughs> um, so, Lance, it was that data that you just talked about that shifted your position where you kind of diverged from, from your father, right? You started to look yourself into some of the data, and, and you said you're chart-driven. So that, for you, more than having a debate with someone, was what made you start to rethink. Um, you dove right into those numbers. Right. Uh, it's very, very easy to bounce around with rhetoric. Anyone who has a silver enough tongue can make anything sound true or intelligent. However, it's very hard to show that guy, okay, well, here's a report by a thousand scientists, and here's a number at the top, and this is what it says. Can you debate that? 
uh, it would be very hard for him to dispute that. So, so this is the problem with arguing with my son here, where <laughs> where we're in the car and I'll go off and I'll work or what have you. He'll go back and research whatever we were just arguing about. And the next day, we'll pre present a bunch of facts that then I can't refute because, you know, now he's got a bunch of data that he can argue that I can't because <laughs> I have done the work and he has. So And you're driving and you can't look at your phone and you can't find your own data. And yeah. So, so do you remember the moment where he came into the car and sat down and said, hey, dad, I think that we've been wrong on climate change. No, I don't think it's really, you know, it's not like, um, uh, there's never like some single moment. I mean, as we talk about things, um, and, and maybe it's as much me as it is him, whereas he'll go through a process and change his mind based on research and really trying to get to the core truth. Uh, and then, uh, he'll, what Lance says great is he'll start talking to me about it. And then he'll start talking to my wife about it, uh, his mom. And, you know, he'll work on her too. And so there's this sort of like family movement where Lance like kind of drags us kicking and screaming to a different place. Uh, <laughs> you know? And so then we end up there and then, you know, we all sort of um, land on our own reason for like Lance is the instigator um, and pre presents the arguments. And then we sort of have to settle it within ourselves and I think everybody has to do that at some level. They have to come up with their own reason for their conviction. Right. But that's that's what I love about Lance is that he he gets us there, um, and then and then we take the space to sort of land, which usually is wherever he is. So you know. Yeah. And you watched a video, right? Was there a movie or something that kind of was your aha moment after listening to Lance present the data? I feel like I remember that from the op-ed that you wrote, Lance, that I'm going to put in the show notes so our listeners can read it for themselves. But I feel like you yeah. referenced a video. And, you know, I think there's a bunch of different things that we've watched. Um, one thing that was compelling for me was there's a, the documentary called Chasing Coral. And... Um, if you and, and this is where I get to in terms of landing at your own kind of conviction about things. Um, if you're a scuba diver, we had taken a family trip to the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, and we I, I had kids with me scuba diving and snorkeling and whatnot. And if you compare that experience and how beautiful that is to the bleaching that's going on, um, and the bleaching that can only come from warming of the oceans, right? And you start talking about Florida and our reef systems and, and all the reefs in the Caribbean and everything else. That really struck a, that was kind of a knife to the heart. So data drives Lance to make a decision or to change, you know, sort of his perspective. And then he works on the family. And then you guys kind of all reach your own points, then supplementing his data with your own kind of touch points. And you are now kind of in this position of, of, I hate the word agreeing, but you sort of see things in a similar light. Yeah. And I'm curious, does this process, it sounds like it really strengthens your overall family unit, your family relationship. It sounds lovely to me. <laughs> well, we've always been very open-minded as a family. Um, anyone is free to argue any perspective. We're not dogmatic. Uh, we find dogmatism to be anti-intellectual because if there's only one way and people aren't allowed to express dissent or criticism, then that does two things. One, it makes them very ignorant. And two, when they go out into the real world, world and they find opinions that they don't like, they're unprepared for them, which can actually lead them astray from what the family is all about. Uh, you see that with religion. You see that with uh, philosophy. You see that with politics. 
So I think it's very important that every family should be as open-minded as possible. And I'm really happy to be born in a family that, uh, that encourages that philosophy and allows me to pursue my own opinions and research and where they're judged on their merits and not simply by how far, far they deviate from the narrative that the family has propped up. So it's very, very nice that we're all open-minded. We all are free to pursue our own opinions. And uh, I think that's really nice. And I, I thank my dad for that. Well, it also, uh, you know, I think what, what Lance has done is put all of our kids in a position, and, and less so the younger ones, but certainly the ones that are in high school, um, you know, are much more attuned to what's going on around them. Um, because the conversation, you can just tell by his answer, right? He raises the bar on the level of conversation that we're having. Um, and it, it also gets my wife and me out of our bubbles, right? Because it's very easy to get in your day-to-day -day routine. You go, you focus on work, what have you. Um, you're just trying to, you know, get a dinner cooked and have a family meal and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then Lance will walk in and say, you know, I've just been doing some research. I've just been looking at something. What about this? And, uh, you know, and where we've gotten to is we listen now and, and engage. At, at first, we were probably resistant to where is this coming from? <laughs> but, um, you know, more and more, I think everybody's willing to bring their own perspective, which means that my high schoolers have to do their own research. Because if they want to have a conversation involving, you know, mom and me and Lance, they've got to, they got to bring something. Right, for sure. How many brothers and sisters do you have? Last time I checked, I had five. So that's five other sisters. Yes. <laughs> and you're the oldest. I'm the oldest, so they come to me to fix their problems. Yeah, <laughs> same. I actually have my parents divorced and each had new families. And so overall, there are seven of us, including me. I'm the oldest, but I grew up living with four specifically. And they still, everyone's an adult and they're having an issue. They come to me. <laughs> so I'm the boss of a lot of them, actually. Um, <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, but my older son is, uh, is like you, Lance, and he will bring his arguments and he will bring his data and he remembers everything that has ever happened in history. So he's always got all these examples to back up his arguments. And you know, sometimes it's great. And then sometimes we're at the dinner table and we're tired and we're like, can we just have this conversation another day? Yeah. You've already defeated us with your, well, back in 600 BC. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you plan to study at William and Mary? Uh, I plan to double major in political science and our second major, my second major is in limbo. We are thinking of, I'm thinking of perhaps finance, history, English, uh, public policy. So we definitely uh, want to sort that out, but we do want to double major if that's possible. And if we can't double major, then we'll simply do political science. After that, four years, uh, three years of law school, then it's off, uh, pass the bar, you take the exam, then it's off to, off to a career as a lawyer. So you, that's what you know, that you want to be a lawyer. We can't get you to come in to, to run for office because I actually think you would be a breath of fresh air. Well, <laughs> thank you. There is a DC campus for William and Mary though. And I know, and I, um, there's a lot of opportunity there. So that's definitely something that I'm considering. Uh, with regards to public office, I've been thinking about running for public office for a, quite some time now, later down the line. Of course, that's a decision I have to make far, far down in my career, but I definitely wouldn't throw out the idea right now. 
Great. Uh, I love it. So you'll go be a lawyer for a while and then we'll, we'll rope you in. <laughs> yeah, well, and to brag, Lance has done a lot of, um, you know, when he was at Boys State, he won the, his bill, won the best bill of the house award. Um, so, and then he just gave his salutary speech this weekend and uh, knocked it out of the park. So he's, he's got a lot of the tools in the bag to, to be able to do it. So we'll see. It would be a, you'd be a real asset. So one thing I should tell our listeners is that Lance was promoted. I'm putting that in air quotes to our spokesperson team, which is another layer of super volunteers we have who write op-eds and they organize events for Bob when we have events. They take to social media. They all have different strengths and they do what they can when they can. And we have a number of college students in that on that team and some who are about to graduate as well. And they've started to make friends with each other. They've met in D.C. a couple of times. And so it would be great to connect you with those folks because they can also be kind of Maybe they're not quite old enough to be mentors, but they can help play that kind of role, too. With, let's say that there's somebody who's listening that's like, wow, my uncle Joe doesn't believe in climate change. What, you know, what advice do you have for that person who might want to initiate a conversation? Well, the worst thing you can do is act like you're better than them or that they're stupid. And this is what a lot of people on not just the left side of things, but also even on the right to the left. It happens both ways. Uh, they pretend that the other person, simply by virtue of disagreeing with them, is somehow less intelligent, somehow less informed. And this can create a very large disconnect because you're making something that should be purely a matter of data into something very personal. And then that messes it up to a major degree because then you have to wade the horrible red sea of emotion and you don't want to do that. What you want to do when the facts are on your side is be as factual, neutral, and objective as possible. There's no reason to as many people are tempted to rub salt in the wound. So I think that respect and be, you know, saying, hey, this isn't your fault, here's the data, you can make what you want of it, et cetera, et cetera, and trying to avoid a certain degree of pretentiousness that a lot of people ex exhume when they engage in debate, especially these days, where it's become a lot more vitriolic, a lot more toxic. It's not about persuading people anymore, it's just about beating them into the ground and showing everyone how smart you are for a lot of people. And I try to avoid that as much as possible because my goal isn't to uh, inflate my ego through abusing my re like, rhetorical skills. Uh, my, my, my one goal is to change people's minds, change people's votes. This is a democracy. The way you vote changes the world. So if I can change even just a few minds, I think I'm doing something that will outlive me, something I can be proud of, something that I can be on my deathbed and say, hey, I changed something for the better. I'm proud of that. So I would say if you want to convince someone, the number one rule would be don't get personal, stay objective, stay polite, and you might just change their mind. Because these people, especially an uncle, where, where you have an older senior citizen, they're going to be have dealt with a lot of people who come from your viewpoint who are pretentious, who are mean, who were cruel to them. And they're going to be very, uh, not jaded, but very, very cautioned against your stance. And they're going to be expectant of that same cruelty. So by showing an olive branch and being respectful, you can actually gain their respect and trust and you can be a lot more communicative with your message. So I would, like I said, I would say the number one thing is just be respectful, be calm, be objective, the facts are on your side, take it slow, and you'll get to them eventually. That's the key part right there, if I could just pile on, is, is sort of the, uh, uh, what Lance is good at is the respectful persistence. Because if you, if you do it once, if you engage in one conversation, 
that's great. It is the re-engaging, letting that person evolve, right? And so if you look at our example here, it's the, uh, the continued conversation and where Lance can listen to what I have to say and then come back at me at a later time and say, well, I want to re-engage in that. Um, and, and Lance is one determined guy. So uh, if, you, if you want to change the world, you want to change minds, right? You can't just do something once. you got to be persistent about it. I found that as time goes on and I become older and I get a lot more experience with people, I've noticed that people tend to value comfort over truth seeking. We all love to live in a bubble. It's very comfy in a bubble, right? You know, you press the pads and nothing happens. But the reality is, and I wish that college would foster this idea, is that real life isn't a bubble. And although people in college and, and, real life, and outside of college even uh, will be tempted to put themselves in areas of comfort and of ideological sameness, are that it's hard to develop when you're surrounded by everyone who thinks and talks and looks like you. And I think it's very important that you uh, go out there and achieve ideological diversity. I think diversity is very important, but I think one of the more underrated facets of diversity is ideological diversity. You want to go out there and talk with people with different opinions. You want to go out there and talk with people's religions, people's religions. Uh, there's nothing you can lose by going out and trying to learn from people with different perspectives. That can only make you a more wiser, more intelligent, more well-rounded person. And that's what I've always done all my life. I've uh, not to be, I wasn't a provocateur. I was always interested in the pursuit of learning, but I've always sought out people who think differently than I do. Some of them persuaded me, I persuaded some of them, and it's made me a more balanced, well-rounded person. Uh, even when it comes to literature, I love reading books from differing philosophers. I love reading books from different political activists. I think it's very important that I gain a perspective on uh, what everyone has to say. That way I can do two things. One, I can enlighten myself and come to better conclusions myself. And two, if I'm still adamant about disagreeing with that person, well, hey, now I know what their tactics are, so I can use that in the future. So I think it's very important that people go out there and try to learn something other than from what people think uh, similar to them. I think it's very important that people go out there and uh, get those differing perspectives. And is there anything you wanted to end with, Lance, before I let you on with your day? Well, I'd like to extend a, a warm welcome, a warm thanks to Republic, Republic Ian. Uh, you guys have definitely uh, helped me spread a message that I care, care a lot about. Uh, Boy State was one of the best things I've ever done. A lot of opportunities, Lots of ways, manners, me manners, methodism, method, me methods to go and spread those messages that I do care about. Uh, and you guys were the primary one. I mean, I've been working with you guys for many months. Uh, you're wonderful people. Uh, uh, it's been really an honor just to expand upon that opportunity because a lot of people, they look in the paper and they look at the messages and they often in the coffee shops think to themselves, if only I had a voice, if only I could be like that. Uh, and it's, I've realized now it's a lot easier than you think. As long as you're well read, as long as you can articulate yourself well, I really do believe anyone who has the willpower and, uh, and uh, capacity can, can absolutely do that. And you guys have helped me realize uh, my potential in that regard, and I'm very thankful for that. We now continue on the Eco Rights Speaks podcast. Visit republicen.org online to sign up and stand with us. Well, Price, that was it. Another episode, our second episode. I think that makes us legit. It definitely makes us legit, and we are registering on uh, iPhones and iPads and everything everywhere by, you know, people are subscribing and, and rating and reviewing. But, but yeah, episode two, Chelsea in the books, as I've told you before, podcast star. Um, 
fantastic. Are, are you settling in, kind of getting into a little bit of a groove now? Episode two, I mean, by the time we get to episode five, you'll feel like you're on vacation. Oh, my God. I, it does get a little easier each time, I will say, but it also makes it easy to have such great guests like Lance Lawson and his dad, Brian Anderson. They were just so phenomenal to talk to. I felt like I could have just hung out and made them lunch and talked all day. And we definitely look forward to seeing Lance achieve great things as he moves on to college and continues to volunteer with us. So that was just a real pleasure to have that time with them. You know, I told you earlier, I I hadn't heard or talked to Lance before. And then um, we've exchanged emails and trying to set up some events and, and do different things like that. You work with him directly. So you've obviously had a lot more interaction. But as I was listening to the interview, uh, getting it ready and putting together this week's podcast, I was I was just blown away by the maturity and you know the way he goes about issues. As somebody that just recently graduated high school, congratulations to Lance for you know for for graduate graduation, especially during this crazy time. But you know the way the relationship that he and his dad have, the way that they. You know, they talk about things, though. What do they call it? I think Brian called it, you know, the amount of windshield time they have. I, I thought that, you know, everything that each of them had to say separately, but just the relationship that they had together and, and how they engage on issues was just, it, it was fantastic. I was, I was really honestly blown away. Well, I had worked with Lance on his written pieces, but we had never actually had a phone conversation, so I hadn't talked to him. And, you know, you just get a better sense of somebody's personality when you're having an actual conversation than you do when you're exchanging emails. So it was great to meet him in quotes and, again, to hear that connection. And as a parent, I'm definitely... Uh, just so overwhelmed and and inspired. You know, my kids talk to me a lot too. And, um, we, you know, we mostly see eye to eye. So it's not like that same level of, of Lance trying to convince his dad of one thing or another. Although Jack will try to get me to read books that I'm like, really? Uh, no, I don't want to read that. Yeah. So, <laughs> Uh, he should not listen to the podcast because then he'll start to take notes on how to get his mom to read the books that she doesn't want to read. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned during the interview the county youth chair program. Um, you know that it's it's come to an end. That you know started it for you know basically at the beginning of of last year, right, or the beginning of the academic year, but. What a, what a program, uh, Win Lee, you know, our colleague, you know, we heard from Kevin Crosswhite earlier, by the way, I, I'm shocked that he didn't mention uh, Chicago deep dish being his favorite kind of pizza. Um, but Win, who, you know, it's, you know, it was her idea. And I just, I'm, I just think it was one of the best things that we have done as a team at Republican.org. You know, the kind of youth cheer program was just fantastic with some incredible kids that became a part of it. Oh, for sure. And it's, a great pipeline for volunteers for us moving forward for our spokesperson team. And, you know, it was a great way to take Bob's appearances at Boys State and really make them give, you know, further dividends and also help some high school kids who are really eager to be building their resumes and making connections, have something substantive to do. And I'm sorry that all the boys states and girls states got canceled this year because of COVID-19. Hopefully we can get on the circuit next year and maybe with my podcast creds, I can get some (laughs) girls states to invite me because, you know, I went to girls state Back in 19, I don't even want to say it, it was a long time ago. 
And I do recall that one thing that was missing, and I'll just say it was the 80s, was that we didn't get a lot of women talking to us. Mm -hmm. So I think that's important for young women moving, you know, moving into their senior year of high school to see other women and what they've achieved with their careers and the paths that they took and stuff. So maybe I'm going to use this, what we're doing now to get myself on the girl state circuit. And maybe in the next, in our third iteration of the county youth chair program, we'll have um, broader representation. And for this year, for those who are listening, if you know a high school senior, rising senior, who is on the eco right and wants to have something to do, we help them write op eds. We help them write letters to the editor. They help us organize events. Bob did some virtual classroom visits even during this time of coronavirus. And it's a great way for them to be involved with a small group because we're so small, they get really substantive things to do. So please send them our way. They can email us, they can DM us, they can whatever their form of communication is. I don't do Snapchat though. That's my <laughs> only thing. <laughs> oh, come on. You are so hip and so cool. You're not, a, you don't snap. My kids almost died when I told them I was going to get it just so that I could keep in touch with them. They're like, no, mom, don't. <laughs> I'll let you know that I'm not nearly as cool as you are either because I don't snap either. Instagram stories, <laughs> yes. Snapping, no. Uh-uh. Um, real quick, uh, I know you've told everybody a couple times, but you know you can subscribe, Apple Podcasts, uh, uh, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Just search Right Speaks. And you can have it downloaded right there to your phone, iPad, whatever device it is, whatever you listen to podcasts every week. Um, so make sure you do that uh, and subscribe. And while you're there, uh, give us a rating, especially on Apple Podcasts. It makes it easier for others to find us, especially those on the Eco Right, uh, but those who might be interested in energy, climate-related issues. Um, and tell a friend. Um, but biggest thing, if you can give us a, a review while you're there, just tap uh, rate five stars. We'll take whatever you want to give us. Um, Chelsea, I want to read a couple. Uh, we've had a ton. We have actually had a bunch of uh, reviews and ratings and so far. So I just want to hit on a couple of these real quick because I thought they were awesome. Uh, Tim R. wrote us a review, uh, five stars. We said, yes, climate change is not partisan and Republicans can and should lead with rock solid conservative solutions. Look forward to hearing some great discussion. Um, another person wrote, finally, can't wait to hear this. It's about time the eco-right had a louder voice in the climate debate. And then the last one, outstanding, fascinating, inspiring. The folks on this podcast give us hope for America and hope that the future might enjoy a healthy climate. Godspeed, hashtag eco-right. Those are great price, and it really just made me smile to see that we have all five-star ratings and to see these little snippets just made me feel like we are doing the right thing, and I can't wait for them to hear the interview with Lance. I can't wait for next week, so let's tell folks what they have in store for next week or what we have in store for them. Uh, Mr. Nick Huey, my favorite Utahan is uh, joining me for a discussion about a term, mostly we focus on this term that he created called the far middle, right? So far left, far right, you don't really get a lot of things done on the fringes, but the far middle, he thinks, is really that area where we all have some thread where we agree. And it might not be that we agree 100% on 100% of the things, but we have enough of those common threads that we can make real progress. And he 
has just been an inspiration to me as a young dad with, um, I believe he has three or four kids, but also as an advertiser, as a PR guy, he is really keyed in on how to, how to use the right words to talk to people. And he's just really passionate. So, and, and on the passionate side, I will just give people a little teaser. I couldn't help but bring up to Nick that when he testified before the Senate Select Committee on the Climate Crisis last summer, I believe it was 2019, he cried. And I asked him what was behind those tears, but you have to tune in to find out what made Nick Huey cry at our Senate hearing. So at a Senate hearing, not ours, sorry, I used to work in the Senate. So I consider, I talk about it in the plural possessive still yeah. all these years later. <laughs> it's a great interview. And when, when he, in, you know, I, I was, Watching him testify, you know, and when he got emotional, I, I just it struck a chord. And, you know, when then he started talking about how he's a crier, I'm like, dude, yeah, I am too. Like, I was watching Toy Story 3 last night, and I started crying at the end of that, like bawling. My wife's asleep next to me, and I start crying. I mean, I'll cry at anything, especially that's emotional and, and heartstring oriented. But when he started talking about that and... You know, it just—he's just so authentic and so real, and I think everybody is going to really, really enjoy this interview with Nick Huey next week, Chelsea. I can't wait! I can't wait to bring it to our community. And so, again, as Price said, really help us help spread the word. Tell your friends, tell your family members, tell your skeptical relatives who at Thanksgiving might be pushing your buttons a little bit on climate change. Let them know we're out here and let's keep doing the good work of the eco right. That's right, Chelsea. Appreciate everybody listening this week. Hope everybody has a great week. And uh, I guess we will see you again next week, Chelsea. Yes, we will. See you then. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.